Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Name on the Trophy, Manchester United podcast and YouTube channel hosted by me, Dominic Booth. Once again, I'm joined by my confidant, Alex Wiley from Sabre Sports, here to di- dissect the January transfer window and a, a pretty mad deadline day. Uh, Alex, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. How are you? Very good. Did you enjoy the Sky Sports yellow ticker of deadline day or did you not get involved? I had it on in the background. Um, I don't I don't get too wrapped up in it because it gets quite repetitive. It's more like the big headlines that you look out for. But yeah, it was it was a good deadline as far as they go. Yeah, it really was. There was lots of deals and, and even Manchester United managed to get one over the line, which was uh, a nice surprise for a lot of fans hoping for um, a midfield signing in the wake of Christian Eriksen's injury and Donny van der Beek's injury slightly earlier in the in the season. Marcel Sabitzer has arrived at United. Alex, um, quick rundown of his career looks quite impressive and fans are, are fairly excited about about what he may bring on loan, obviously from Bayern Munich until the end of the season. What what, what do you think of Sabitzer? So what do you make of this loan signing, just first of all? I think United have made it to replace Ericsson whilst he's injured. My questions are whether he is a like-for-like with Ericsson. So like earlier on in his career, he played as a winger. He then played as more of an eight. And what I find difficult to work out is if he still has that attacking creative side to his game. Because at Bayern Munich the last year or two, he's almost profiled as a defensive midfielder. His progressive passes his through balls have gone down a lot and his defensive output has gone up a lot and I don't think United are bringing him in to be that defensive player that's Casemiro's role they're bringing him in to replace the injured Ericsson so I'm a little concerned as to whether he's the player they think they're getting and whether he's still capable of doing that yeah, what I, what I know about Sabitzer is that he is quite versatile and I think he has played a, a multitude of roles, especially for RB Leipzig. I think he played often as number 10. He was obviously the captain there and quite a talismanic figure. And he also can play as a box-to-box number eight, which is, like you say, the position United are signing for him, uh, him for. First of all, did United need to make this signing? I know that fans always want a signing and... There's a massively positive reaction on social media and everywhere else to to the signing. And people, I was at Old Trafford for the Nottingham Forest game, the second leg, and loads of people at the stadium were talking about it in a positive way. But did United really need to sign Sabitzer on loan? Eric Ten Hag would suggest yes, but I've got a, a, the name Fred just keeps on coming to the coming to our mind, and he's actually playing very well at the moment. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's a question as to whether Fred or McTominay can take over from where Ericsson's left off. I've said my thoughts on McTominay previously in the past. I don't think he's good enough to be at a club at United. I don't think he's even good enough to be a squad player, to be brutally honest. Fred, I do think he's good enough to be at United. It's just whether what he brings to the table is what Ericsson brought to the table. And I don't think he does in terms of his passing. He's 
He's a strange one, Fred, because he doesn't quite fit into either of the roles that we want in centre midfielder. He's not quite a defensive midfielder like Casemiro. And he isn't that sort of ball progressor like Ericsson. He's a bit of like a jack of all trades, really. He's decent in possession. He gets around a lot. He breaks up play. But I wouldn't say he reads play particularly well. So I, I think the case for bringing in Sabitzer is a valid one because... I just don't think Fred quite has that ability in possession that United are banking on Sabitzer having as to whether he actually has that himself, as I said before, is is up for debate. I suppose it is a question of depth more than anything else in Ten Hag's mind. And you don't want to just be relying on Casemiro, Fred and Bruno Fernandes and then very little else apart from that. I know that Tomane is injured for a, a while and he is coming back He'll, he'll come back a lot sooner than Ericsson. But I think that Ten Hag sees McTominay pretty much solely as the deputy in Casemiro's position, and he doesn't really see him anywhere else. He doesn't. He's never really played him in that number eight role, which I kind of think might be actually McTominay's strength more than the, the number six role, because I think McTominay can get forward. He's got good shots on him. He carries the ball fairly well. But clearly, Ten Hag wants an option in the eight role, and it's going to be the Fred or Sabitzer in that role for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Just bringing it back to McTominay, his skill set is quite odd because he's he gets around the pitch well. He's not particularly good in possession. He tends to hide in possession, if I'm brutally honest. And then the one thing I, I think he has in his arsenal that maybe other players don't is in the final third, he is quite good at getting a shot off and every now and then getting a goal. So I think you're right. I don't think he's a six either. I don't know. I don't know what he is, which is maybe part of the problem. Yeah. I I just think his ability in possession isn't good enough for a a top top side. If if I'm honest, is 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 Sabitzer's then? Because you say that he's not quite the ball player that Ericsson is, but he's got a pretty good record in terms of goals and assists. His output is is really good. Just from seeing him, he likes to crack off a shot from range, which can join the long list of United players at the moment who'd like to crack <laughs> off a long shot. Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford. Um, yeah, there's a fair few. What, what else will Sabitzer offer in that in that position? What What is his point of difference, say, from Ericsson or Fred playing there? So, when I was talking about the ball progression, it's it's a bit of a weird one because if you look at certain data sources, and this is getting into the nitty-gritty of it, a little bit, but humor me. That's, that's um, why you're here. That's why you're here. <laughs> so if you go on to Scout and you look at his progressive passes, it's actually below average for the Bundesliga. If you look on Opta's data, it's slightly above average, which sounds odd. The reason being that the definitions they're giving for progressive passes are slightly different. So Opta includes passes into the penalty area and any pass that moves possession 10 yards further from the previous six passes, which sounds complicated, but basically means they move possession slightly forward. Whilst Scout is, if it's in their own half, it's any pass over 30 metres. If it goes from their half to the other half, it's any pass over 20 metres. And if it's in the other half, it's any pass over 10 metres. So the main difference being, really, it's pass length. So why scout tend to be harsher on players that progress possession with small passes, short passes, 
whilst um, Opta don't care as much. And that's where I think the discrepancy lies, because if you actually look at the Opta data for his passing types, almost all of Savitz's passes are short. Like he plays 30 short passes per 90 minutes, which puts him in the 93rd percentile. For long passes, he plays two, or he completes two per 90 minutes, which puts him in the 18th percentile. And that is quite a big difference to Ericsson. I think Ericsson completes three times as more long passes and completes four times more switches of play. So with Sabitzer, so you're not getting those long passes that progress the ball forward. You're getting more quick, short, tidy passes that also move the ball forward, but maybe not quite so quickly. And that's where I'm a little concerned as to whether he will give us what we want. Yeah, but he might give it more than Fred, like you say, with his range of passes. And ultimately, when United were were looking at this on in the final few days of the window, it was a choice between signing somebody and that somebody was Sabitzer, or signing nobody, and then and leaving it to Fred. And they obviously Ten Hag looked at that situation in the summer and thought, I need Ericsson to play in there, uh, and Fred and McTominay to largely be squad players. And that's how it's proven. We we thought that Ericsson would probably be a squad player when he arrived and that he would come in, in here and there, a bit like Juan Mata did before him. But it turned out that Ten Hag really wanted a player like Ericsson. So he's clearly signed Sabitzer, or the best person available, closest to Ericsson's type, if you, if you see what I mean. And that's mm. what United landed on. Yeah, I think the initial plan was Frankie de Jong to fill that role and perhaps for Ericsson to be the backup to Frankie de Jong. Yeah. I'm not quite sure about the timeline. I'm not sure as to whether it was more, okay, this de Jong deal is not actually progressing. Let's get in Ericsson. Or it was always going to be both of them. And I think it might have been both. And it, it might have been Ericsson to come in and, and play a bench role and de Jong yeah. to play. Then the Casemiro deal, I think, changed United's thinking a little bit. And I think Ten Hag came up with the the Casemiro playing behind Ericsson, which is obviously, we know it's worked really well for United. Casemiro's done a fantastic job. Ericsson's mm-hmm. passed expectations. So now it's just about, I don't think Ten Hag wants that quality to drop in terms of what his midfield have done and con- controlling games. United control games a heck of a lot more this season than they did with, with Fred and McTominay at the base of their midfield. Everybody, everybody can see that. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean to say Fred doesn't have a role because I think the number of games United have got coming up in various competitions, there's no way that Fred doesn't have a, a big role to play. I mean, we're just speaking on the back of him scoring two and two. So he's clearly got something to offer. Yeah, Fred definitely has something to offer. I think United fans, it's a bit like Marmite with Fred. Some love him, some hate him. Yeah, I know I don't what camp think... I'm in there. Yeah, I know what camp you're in. And I'm, I think I've got one foot in that camp. Um, I think Fred doesn't fit what we want in our usual 11, but will fit in for certain game situations and against certain opposition, say against like a Manchester City where you need someone in midfield who's who can do a man-marking job, almost like Ander Herrera on Hazard back in the day. Because if, if you look at Ericsson, his defensive output is zilch. I mean, we're talking like fifth percentile or something. He does nothing. So that when you have games against City, where you know you're going to be sitting off, you know that certain of their players need to have pressure on them all the time. Those are the games where you're going to be quite thankful that Fred's in the squad. So I, I agree, Fred definitely has a role at United. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much um, Ian Sabitzer play uh, compared to each other over the next few weeks. Obviously, Alex United's business was, was pretty small fry compared to some of their rivals in the January window. We obviously spoke mm. about Jao Felix and Cody Gakpo earlier in a in a podcast where we were talking about strikers forwards United might sign. Neither of them signed for United. Both of them signed for for rivals, such as the the curse of the name on the trophy podcast. Um, well, they both of them have had a slow start in different ways for their club since since joining. Obviously, Felix, you, you probably don't have many stats for Felix because he was sent off after an hour, I think, playing on his Chelsea debut. Uh, and Cody Gakpo hasn't scored yet for Liverpool, so. So far, a very small sample size. United might be feeling happy that they didn't sign either. Yeah, I think you can't really use data when they've played as little football as they have. Um, like Zhao Felix, I think I said on the very first podcast we had, sometimes he looks terrible and sometimes he looks like a world beater. And his stats from the last year or so are good but not great i mean he keeps possession well his expected assist numbers are very good his expected goal numbers are more or less average for la liga they're not that impressive and the deal that chelsea brought him in on with the money that we're talking about and you know they're getting ridiculed now because when he got sent off that that's cost him two million or something and in wages that he's not not wages in uh loan fees that he he's not even going to be available for I think going into that, that was a bad deal. The Gakpo one, I'm not writing off just yet. I like Gakpo. I still like Gakpo. I'm not sure quite how he fits in at Liverpool, but he's got he's still quite young. He's got a long way to improve. I think that deal will come good in the same way that I think Darwin Nunez will eventually come good. These are just teething problems. Yeah, Liverpool seem to be having their, their own problems, don't they? And it's made it quite hard for the Gakpo to settle in. Felix, on the other hand, I don't know how anyone at Chelsea will be able to settle in at the moment because they seem to have signed every single footballer on the planet. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know how it begins to sort of assess their situation. I mean, in terms of how you compare it to United and how it relates to United, Chelsea are 10 points off United at the moment. Don't look like they're going to get involved in the top four race unless something remarkable happens and you know what it could with all those players clicks they're clearly good is there any anyone you want to pick out is there any any of these deals that you think smacks of desperation any that smack of complete strokes of genius or are we even going to discuss the word amortization and financial fair play in this podcast <laughs> i'll talk about the players yeah, first let's talk about the players because there's so many to go through it's such a hodgepodge of like what's good and what's bad. So I think the Enzo Fernandez deal they've overpaid for. Yeah. But I also think that in his position and what he gives and his age group, he's probably the best, one of the best players in the world. I, I really do rate him. And I think he'll be very good for them. I just think they've overpaid for him. Mudrick is one that I have the biggest question marks over. His data profile was good. We had him as a wonder kid on on our app, which is like the seal of approval. But I wouldn't have paid a hundred million pounds on him. Or is it seventy million plus instalments? Yeah, that's the one I'm the most concerned about. 
I, I know the game isn't played on spreadsheets. People say when they watch him, you see a certain special quality to him. And I can see what they're talking about. So I, I'm happy to be wrong on that one. I can I can see how I could be wrong on that one. But I mean, where do we start? There's there's what another five, six signings. I can't like are there any that you want to talk about? <laughs> and then I can come I'm back interested on that. in I'm interested in Nani Madueki, um, mm. because of his background in in academy in the UK. Uh, I think he was at Spurs and Palace, I think, as a as a youngster, and then went off to the PSV's B side and then into the PSV Eindhoven first team and has done quite well. England under 21, a uh, player that you would have thought that people like United might have been um in the in the frame for. And I think that United were actually when um Madawaki was about 18, I think, or maybe 16, 17, United were in the mix for him trying to sign him to their academy and he went to PSV to play football. So I'm interested in in him, but it's whether he gets any games. Like I just can't see him starting ahead of Chelsea's other wingers. Yeah, is he they haven't loaned him back out, have they? They've is he is no, he in he, the squad? Yeah, I thought they were going to loan him out, but he's he's with them. Whether they can register him. Um certainly in the Champions League I think they're gonna have problems registering some of these players because I think you can it's only quite... register three new ones. Yeah, there's also there's uh if they're under a certain age, you can register as many as you want. That's true. He probably is homegrown. He, he is homegrown. Yeah. Um. So they might be okay in that. Yeah. Um. Madueki is yet another English player who's gone out, gone into Europe, started getting first team game time, and has benefited from it hugely. And I think you are definitely seeing it. You know, players going to the Bundesliga. Marcus Edwards at Sporting Lisbon. Um, there's players at Juventus all, all over Europe now. They're starting to spread out, which was not the case 10, 15 years ago. And the reason they're doing it is because they're getting game time. They're playing for good clubs. They're coming, they're playing, getting professional minutes under their belt. And that's allowing them to take their their skill level to the, to the next level. And Madueki is a, a prime example of that, as is Jaden Sancho at United. Yeah, they come back with their reputations enhanced, really, don't they? Because they've got that swell of experience behind them and they're not just coming raw out of an academy. I sort of think mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a shame that it, that it has to happen and because the clubs are stockpiling so many signings now. And Chelsea are a prime example in this last window. They've signed so many players. Um, I mean, there's Ke- I, I can't pronounce Kearney Chakawema. Is that how you say his name? I mean, is he going to get games at Chelsea? I'm a big, big fan of him. Whenever I've seen him, he looks absolutely fantastic. He's only 19. But is he going to have to go somewhere other than Chelsea to play football? And is that the best thought? Is that the best thing? Probably. Um, the Premier League now, and maybe this, I can slowly start bringing it to amortization. The Premier League has so much money in it right now and are bringing in so many quality players, not just the top sides, like every side in the Premier League is bringing in really good players that. For a youth player, you have to be outstanding, phenomenal. Phil Foden, even Phil Foden struggled to get into the City team for a while. You have to be the best of the best to get in. And I think the only way for certain players to break through is for their clubs to be active at getting them loaned out or for them to just bite the bullet and go into Europe and play for a team, for one of the European teams, because the Premier League is just... (laughs) full to the brim 
It's red hot I feel right sorry. Now, I feel it? sorry for them because Eng- England's producing a lot of really good young English players. You can you can see it with the national team, and I think it's good that the Premier League is as good as it is because those that do get in there, whether that be straight from the academy or maybe going into Europe and then coming back, they are going to be the best of the best, and that's partly why the English team is so good. You know, yeah. I, a lot of people think that. Playing, having more English players playing in the Premier League is better for the national team. I don't think it is. I think the higher the standard, the higher you raise the bar, the players that can actually get over that bar are going to be the best of the best. And that can only benefit the national team as well. Yeah, I think that argument is slightly flawed. You, you want the most volume of English players playing at the highest level possible. And where wherever that may be, you just want them playing and eventually they might reach that level where they are in, in these Premier League top six sides. And I know a lot of clubs now have buyback clauses and like you say, they loan them straight out and then they come back, have improved themselves. I'm sure that'd be the case with a lot of a lot of these players that we were talking about. Um, the, the spending in the Premier League has been mad. I mean, I know it's a result of the TV deals and the Premier League seems to be outgrowing its other rivals across Europe. When it comes to those broadcast deals, both the UK ones and the international ones, the Premier League is simply more marketable than any of its other league rivals. And that's re- resulted, Alex, in teams like Bournemouth spending the way they have. And and Newcastle, obviously, we know about their takeover, but it's been crazy. I think someone tweeted out the other day that I, th- I think of the top 35 deals that were done in the January window in terms of value, I think only two or three not done by Premier League sides. It's crazy and it's getting crazier. Um, So you're talking about the TV deals. I think that's the main driver for this sort of expenditure. And it's, it's actually, it's not the domestic TV deals. It's the TV deals to all over the world that are bringing in real money. I mean, if you talk to um, other sports leagues, the idea that, your domestic TV deal is less than the actual deals that you're doing like elsewhere in the world is is crazy. And you talked about the sort of transfer fees that are getting spent. So I quickly, just before this podcast, sort of summed up how much was spent in the other main European countries. So in La Liga, or Spain as a whole, roughly 35 million was spent in total, which was eclipsed by Southampton, Bournemouth, Arsenal and Newcastle, which is mind-boggling you know 48 million spent in italy again eclipsed by those four teams um 71 million spent in germany and in france which is actually in second place believe it or not 140 million chelsea spent more in this window than those four countries combined that enzo fernandez deal was more than three times what was spent by every club in Spain in totality. It's when you actually really break it down and you compare it to what else is going on in football, it's mental. And it's even mental when you compare it to outside of football, because obviously football has its own bubble and where these sort of amounts seem normal, but you can take it outside of that and it seems even more crazy. What what fans and probably what a lot of United fans are asking, especially where Chelsea are concerned, we bring it back to them, is whether they can be punished for for their spending, whether they've gone too far, or whether this is a policy that's going to pay off. Obviously, Todd Bowley, a fairly new owner there at, at Stamford Bridge, 
he knows he knows what he wants to do. Whether he knows what he's doing is different. He knows that he wants to bring in a load of players and throw a huge amount of money at it to get Chelsea up to the top. But is this going to come back and bite him is the question that a lot of fans are asking. Yeah, look, Chelsea will have a lot of legal and financial advisors who will be keeping everything in check. So I don't have access to their balance sheets. I don't know if what they're bringing in in revenue is enough to cover these deals. I assume it is. Bringing it back to the amortization chat that we've alluded to a few times. Um, the reason Chelsea are giving these players huge seven, eight, nine-year deals is to spread the cost over those seven, eight, or nine years. So you're talking about Enzo Fernandez. I think he's signing an eight and a half year deal. You actually can put that entire transfer fee across eight or nine years on the balance sheet, which per year reduces it quite a lot. And that's that's what Chelsea are banking on. They're banking on these long deals with young, the best young players, hoping that either the players are going to be brilliant and if they're being if they're brilliant they're on decent wages i think and they've actually lowered the wage bill and if it doesn't work out that they'll be able to sell them on and they won't be stuck with these players for like the next eight or so years because let's be honest out of all these signings they've made some of them are going to fail and then these failed players are going to be on huge contracts but i think chelsea are thinking well look he's 21 22 23 we can just move him on take a loss on that one and, you know, still be winning trophies and not, and not doing too badly financially. That's the idea behind it. And to bring it back to the amortization, that's almost a loophole in the FFP rules that is in the process of being closed. And I think that is partly why Chelsea and a lot of other clubs in the Premier League have front run with their expenditure. I think that is part of the reason this January has been as crazy as it is, is because the football clubs want to get these That's deals done before that loophole's closed. Yeah, they've yeah. acted now before it's before it's too late. One one club that haven't acted now in that regard financially is obviously Manchester United, and probably should bring it back to them. And United doing three <laughs> loans uh, for Jack Butland, Val Weghorst, and Marcel Sabitzer. It seems like it's just a whole other world from what these other clubs are doing. And United fans can rightly feel frustrated about that. It, I look at it in the way that United didn't actually need to sign a load of players. Uh, they've spent so much money over the past few years trying to get these players in. Players who should be approaching their peak. People like Jaden Sancho, who's an enormous signing. Anthony, young players on, on big deals. And if they, kept, if they kept doing it, well, there was no chance they were going to keep doing it because of the Glazers' uh, impending sale of the club. But fans nowadays just are so thirsty for transfer news and so hungry for the next signing and the next signing. That's why we even saw excitement about the Veghorst deal, for example, from United fans. If United had done that this window, it, it, it could have upset the apple cart for Ten Hag. It could have put the finances out of kilter for the takeover to come in. I think that's the reason why we haven't seen United do it. It could happen in the summer if, if that loophole is still open and a new owner comes in. It'll be really interesting if it does. It's it's kind of just been a frustrating one for United fans, hasn't it, with these with the finances the way they are? It has, but I think it's bittersweet because 
it's a symptom of the fact that the Glazers want to sell and don't want to spend any more money. And I am happy to have a window of just loan deals if it means in a couple months the Glazers have sold to someone who wants who actually wants the club to win football games and will probably want to spend quite heavily in their first window uh, in the job. So look, I can take a bad month if it means that the summer is going to be fantastic. I have no problem with that. That's the no. way I, I'm looking at it. And you've got to look at winning games on the pitch and, and continuing the improvement and development under Eric Ten Hag. And that is worth far more than, than signing players. Signing players doesn't guarantee you success, does it? it? It's United have won so many games since the World Cup break, you know, only dropping points in two. And just the continuation of what Ten Hag is doing is just so exciting for fans. And like you say, the, the impending takeover is the real excitement that the fans want to see. So I suppose United can't really complain too much. No, the team's clearly in the in the right direction. We're through to a cup final. I think sometimes fans, I think certain sections of fans almost find transfers more entertaining than the actual football games. Yeah. <laughs> really, we almost need to take a step back and just appreciate the United are in the right direction. If that sale goes through and it's sold to the right person, it's going to be a it's going to be good times at United. So, like I said before. I'm more than happy to have a slightly underwhelming month if the football results are still good and we also get in a cup final in it. I, I, I really don't mind. I think the top Google search term on the day United played Forest in the second leg, uh, recording this on the Thursday, the top Google search term around United was Sabitz, the squad number. And that yeah. maybe reflects what fans actually want to read about. They want to read about the new Crazy. signing, what shirt he's got. But, you know, United won a game 2-0 and got into a, a domestic cup final for the first time in six years on that same day mm. but hey ho <laughs> if there's yeah. um if there's one january signing united or otherwise alex that you could pick out as one that you are really impressed with and that you you think people should keep an eye on who who would you say Ooh. so i have a list as i do oh, you've, got your, you, you've got a list of wonder kids i believe you can, you can hit us with them first and then maybe go on to the answer my question after well, what I'll do is I'll talk about the number one as a way of answering your question, because I guess that's two birds and one stone. So with the app, the Sabre Sports Pro app, we uh, assign a WonderKid status for players that do certain things on the pitch at 22 years or younger. And there have been quite a, quite a few WonderKids have moved this window that I think it'd be quite interesting to talk about certainly that we can look back on in like six months time ago, we told you, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so one signing that I'm really interested in, and I don't think, I don't necessarily think he'll hit the ground immediately running because of the situation he's going into, but Dango Watara at Bournemouth, the right winger, 20 years, 20 years old has been, was fantastic in league one has a Sabre score of 81, potential score of 87, surprisingly good in the air, inverted winger, dribbler, and takes free kicks. I, He's the kind of signing that if United made, I'd be pretty intrigued by it. The fact that Bournemouth have been able to make it really intrigues me, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how he does in the Premier League at a struggling side. I'm, I'm interested to see how quickly he, he can make that adjustment. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think he's just played once or twice for Bournemouth so far. 
Um, I think he got a lot of praise for his for his debut. Um, but Bournemouth could have a. I mean, they, they missed out, didn't they, on is it Nicola Jackson, uh, on deadline day? So they could have had a really exciting attack to to line up for the rest of the season. I think you still think they have got a very exciting attack, don't you? I think the signings they've made this window have been super interesting. It's almost to the point in which I was asking myself, like, have they got access to the back end of the app that I have? Because every signing they were making was a signing that our app rates pretty highly. You're not moonlighting um, for Bournemouth on the side, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, they're obviously just doing similar things in their recruitment team. Look, Bournemouth right now, you could argue are favourites to go down or one of the favourites to go down. And they've made quite a few signings who are quite young, who might need time to bed into the team. So I'm not saying, oh yeah, Bournemouth are definitely going to stay up. But if you look at their signings, so they've got Ilya Zabanyi, centre-back, 20 years old, Ukrainian international, Sabre scores 77, potential 85. They've signed Hamid Junior Traore from Sassuolo, left winger, 22 years old. Sabre scores 77, potential 81. These are all players that come under the Wonder Kid moniker that I talked about before. They nearly signed Jackson, who is another Wonder Kid. And they signed, uh, I don't want to pronounce it incorrectly, Semenyo Semenya at yep. Bristol, who just falls short of the Wonder Kid uh, title. I think his potential is 79. So another interesting one. And it's weird because it's, it's almost like their recruitment's done like a like a 180 or something because they weren't doing these kind of moves in in the summer and now they're splashing more money than La Liga on these these wonder kids. And look, they could still get relegated, but if worse comes to worse, then they've got these young players that they can sell on if they do get relegated and still probably make quite a tidy tidy bit of money. So yeah, I want to watch more Bournemouth games. And who was your top pick? Who was your top pick out of them? Uh, that Waterer, the guy I mentioned at the Watterer. start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll clip that up, put it out, and then when he scored a load of goals in uh, in a few months' time, we can both feel very smug about ourselves. Or, oh <laughs> yeah, there, there is there is the alternative, but um, so far our hit rate's not been bad. I mean, we talk about this curse of the name of the trophy podcast. Maybe it's not a curse. Maybe you know, maybe we're actually giving these clubs advice, and or maybe we're just ahead of the curve. It it, it remains to be seen. It's not. Look, they're not. United I don't aren't going to sign everybody, are they? So no. And I, I think somewhere. what what we're doing with our stats recommendations will be fairly similar to what all the well-run clubs will be doing. So it's not too surprising that the players that we're talking about are then getting picked up. But you're right. I mean, the name name on the trophy, uh, curse Malo Gusto. You can add to that as well. Who was yep. our number one right back choice for United. I said at the time he won't expect to start for an elite club yet, but in one or two years will be one of the best right backs in the world. Chelsea have snapped him up. They've loaned him back to Leon for six months. He's going to come in at the summer. And then he's got Reese James to compete with, who we have as the best right back in the world. So Chelsea, Chelsea are going to be dangerous. Yeah, Chelsea have snapped him up seems like a a good line to finish this podcast with. So pretty much everyone that we've spoken about Chelsea have snapped up. Uh, all roads lead to the summer, though. It's going to be an interesting summer window, especially for United with, with a potential takeover and, and a few more funds to, to flex their financial muscles with and some some big signings to be made, which we'll obviously talk about in the future, Alex. But um, 
that's pretty much all for today. Thanks for thanks as always for your illuminating contributions. You almost said that sarcastically, but yeah, yeah no, sorry. Yeah, that. I was I was gonna say I was gonna say it normally, but I thought it would be funnier to, to sound sarcastic. Um, yeah, you can listen to Name on the Trophy on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd also really appreciate a review and a like as well. Um, Name on the Trophy is also now on TikTok. That's what I've been spending my morning uh, partially doing, <laughs> getting the kids on side. Um, and you can also follow Alex's platform, Saber Sports, on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, yeah, I don't really use Twitter as much. I think TikTok's probably the best one. It's yeah, the Frankie. We clipped up the Frankie De Jong post, well, the the talk from last week, and I think it's got like fifty thousand views or something. TikTok's great. Yeah, keep keep, don't knock keep it. watching, keep watching and liking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we want to slice that pie. Um, right, that's pretty much all for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another one of these name on the trophy podcasts very soon. Cheers. <laughs>